Crossroads and now in Sandra, Virginia, literally crossing the road. The Article 7 podcast. exciting. Uh, <laughs> looks like I could have done some man on the street reporting there. Uh, there was a, looked like there was an accident down the street and then there was a fire truck going in the other direction. But uh, this is Pastor Andy Jago and I'm on my way to 2501 Beacon Hill Road in Alexandria, Virginia. And uh, at 22306 and I'm walking through a portion of 22306 right now in our neighborhood. Um, and uh, so this is a second part of a, well, not the second part. This is a fourth in a series of At the Crossroads for this podcast. And uh, recording this at the same time as the one podcast you may have just heard, the one before this, uh, on the same day to uh, get these out, cramming a, a few in at the same time just to get caught up so that by next week, when you get your podcast, those will be the ones for Holy Week. Uh, and then Easter will follow soon after that. So all this uh, coming up here, and then uh, as the like the last podcast, this podcast is just going to be. Uh, I'm going to say a little something about the ministry at Bethany here at the beginning, and then uh, next thing you'll hear is music, and then I'll be sandwiched between uh, some music, and then there'll be a sermon, the part four in the At the Crossroads series. So first, a little bit about the ministry of Bethany Lutheran. Last time I shared with you a little bit about the Pony Express uh, that just launched. Uh, today, I'd like to highlight a little bit about the prayer ministry. And it seemed like a good opportunity to do that as I'm walking around right now outside in our neighborhood, just about to the church just now. And, and you know, I'm just walking through, looking at the houses. Part of our prayer ministry is we encourage people to do prayer walks. So if you happen to be out in the neighborhood getting a little exercise, take a look at the homes that are here. Pray that the Lord's light would shine in these homes and pray about ways in which our church can uh, make a connection here in our neighborhood. Uh, so that's uh, one. That's only one of many different prayer ministries. You, you may notice around the church this week, I, I just noticed it, that someone had put up uh, frames uh, on, in different parts of the building with proximity prayer. Uh, proximity prayer points. So when you're by the pastor's office, when you're by the fellowship hall, here are some things that you could be praying about while you're in these things. We had a team that uh, used to do that on Sunday mornings, and we have occasionally the team that still does that goes through the building and prays in different parts of the church. Well, you could do that formally, or you could just decide, hey, I've got a little free time, I'm going to do that uh, this afternoon or whenever you happen to have some time to do that. Uh, in addition, we also print out you know prayer requests in our bulletin. We have people that do a phone tree as well. So all kinds of opportunities to get involved with prayer at Bethany Lutheran and ways in which to cover our ministry and everything that we do in prayer. So important this week, especially as we get near the cross. So in the sermon for today at the crossroads, uh, the Gospel of Mark takes us a step closer. Uh, Jesus teaches us a little bit more about servanthood. 
and what that looks like in God's kingdom. And it gives us a hint of what he's going to accomplish there on the cross as well. So as I said, next I'll tell you a little bit about the music, and then you'll hear some more music from our choral even song that we did. Uh, and then you'll uh, hear the sermon in between a couple of our selections. So that's all coming up. Please stay. Well, in this podcast, we're going to hear again from the Coral Evensong service that we did at Bethany a little while ago. And first, you'll hear the Alleluia singers sing Everywhere I Go. Uh, and that will be followed by a handheld piece. Well, actually, it'll be followed by the sermon. And then after the sermon, uh, you'll hear uh, Bethany's uh, Trinity handbells doing an arrangement of Abide With Me, arranged by Hellman. But first is the Alalu Singers, our children's choir at Bethany Lutheran.
<laughs> All right, so with that preliminary out of the way, uh, looking at the context, right before, right before uh, the text for today, right before verse 35, is a prediction of Jesus that he will be going to Jerusalem, be delivered into the hands of evil men, suffer, die, and on the third day rise. This, in Mark's gospel, is the third time that Jesus says this to the disciples. All three times, Mark emphasizes they don't get it. <laughs> there's this blindness there. They, they just, or, or there's just something there that they just, they talk amongst themselves, they don't understand what it is that Jesus is saying. And the first time, so this is between chapters 8 and 10. Uh, 8 is where Peter makes his confession. Who do people say I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Peter wants to prevent Jesus from going to Jerusalem after he makes his first prediction. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So that's, a, that's the first one. Right before that happens in chapter 8, Jesus heals a blind man. And now we're here in chapter 10. We have the third of these predictions. And then we have what I think in our gospel that was just read, an example of the disciples not getting it. Some real spiritual blindness. They, they can't, there's something there they just cannot see. And then after that is another healing of a blind man. Interesting how that, those healings are, are right here in this section which some people call the discipleship section, if you read it all as a whole in Mark's gospel. So here we are at the crossroads of my way and God's way. I think the disciples are thinking of going in one direction based on what they think power and authority is in the world. And Jesus has got a completely different direction in mind. One way is the way the world works, but the other is the road to Calvary. We look at verse 35 first. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Now in Matthew's gospel, you're probably, if, if you're familiar with the gospels, you're probably waiting for Mother Zebedee to come out because you're familiar with that that version of, of this. Mark doesn't mention Mrs. Zebedee, uh, but in Matthew's gospel, that's where she approaches Jesus about her sons. Mark does not include that detail, but he faithfully records the scene. Just know that different gospel writers pick out different things from the scene, just as if you or I witnessed something, uh, the same event, we would see different things. We would emphasize different things when we're communicating that to other people. Now, they asked Jesus, we want to sit on your right and your left. These boys were looking for Jesus then to establish his kingdom on earth. Now, at every turn in all the Gospels, Jesus is moving people away from that. Well, in Mark's Gospel in particular, at every turn, whenever a miracle happens or someone recognizes who Jesus is, normally, except for Peter's confession, but normally he said, shh. Don't tell anyone. Do not reveal that. It isn't until the next couple of chapters here on Mark, where we get to the high priest courtyard, where we get to the trial of Jesus, and the high priest asks Jesus, I adjure you before God, 
Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And then Jesus says two words that go back to Moses and the burning bush. I am. And you will see this, then quoting Daniel, you will see the Son of Man coming down out of the clouds of great glory. The high priest rips his robes. What further evidence do we need? And the answer is none. Jesus convicts himself with those words. So it isn't until it's going to kill him. It isn't until, he's not getting a crown of earthly authority. He's instead going to be receiving the crown of thorns as a result of him revealing who he is at that moment. And James and John do not see that. Verse 38, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink you will drink and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But the sit of my right or left is not mine to grant, but it is for those to whom it is prepared. James and John, thinking about my way, my sinful human way, that the kingdom that Jesus is, they're thinking that Jesus is creating this kingdom which involves power and privilege. Jesus says, no, it involves cup and baptism. And here, the words of the, the meaning of those words may not be immediately clear. And we remember when we get stuck in the Bible, Scripture interprets Scripture. So we look at other parts of Scripture to help us with this part. And Isaiah is where you see this reference to the cup of wrath, God's punishment for sin. And that's what Jesus is saying. He is going to take that cup and drink it. This is actually something that illuminates what something he says a little later on. The Son of Man, he comes to give his life as a ransom for many. He's going to take the cup of God's wrath, in other words, in place of us in place of those who deserve it. A ransom is an exchange, and Jesus already hints about that exchange right here. And the baptism, again, that's a, a reference to one of the other Gospels. Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. In the context there, we think that, that means you know, his suffering. And again, he's talking about suffering. So God's wrath and suffering. You're going to drink this cup? You're going to be baptized with this, James and John? Yes, we are. Ugh, no, you don't. They're blind. They don't see exactly what it is that Jesus is talking about. It's not glory, but it's suffering. And he says, yes, you will. James is going to be beheaded because of his witness to the risen Lord. John may live out his life, but he too will be exiled and suffer greatly for the sake of the kingdom. This reminds me of a scene in Andrew Lloyd Webber's Jesus Christ Superstar. Simon the Zealot is one of the characters. We don't see much of him in the Bible, but in Lloyd Webber's musical, he leads this troop out to, with Jesus right after the Palm Sunday scene. And they start, wait, they start dancing around Jesus, and, and they're singing. They, uh, they, uh, they say, keep them shouting their devotion but add a touch of hate at Rome, and you will rise to a greater power, and we will win ourselves a home, and you get the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. They break into a big frenzy dance. Jesus sings in response, though, neither you, Simon, nor the 50,000, nor the Romans, nor the Jews, nor the Pharisees or scribes are doomed Jerusalem herself. 
understand what power is, understand what glory is, understand it all, understand it. It's a haunting scene. God's kingdom and power and glory is not limited to just what we conceive of those words, earthly power and authority. It's greater, it's vaster, and it's where the first is the last, and the last is the first. We can't understand it in terms of how we think of a kingdom on earth with people having some sort of power over others because God's way is the exact opposite of our way. In Isaiah 55, the prophet confesses, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. This verse means that we should always be challenging our assumptions when it comes to God. Whenever we think we have things figured out, are we really seeing what His work is, what His divine purpose in the world is, what His work through us is? Are we truly understanding that? In order to understand, we need God's truth to be our guide, as James and John find out with the rest of the disciples. Because our text continues, and when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. He's saying that to the church, to the disciples, and to us today. It shall not be so among you, for you must be slave of all. Whoever would be first must be slave. And even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How do we conceive power? There was a a psychology study done some time ago, pretty famous, and the the background to that was, you know, how could the German people in World War II have gone along with such an obviously evil thing as the Holocaust and concentration camps and following Hitler? You know, know, and and there there was a lot of question, okay, now were the people there... Are they culpable for their actions or were they just following orders? And how strong is that? So this one psychologist set up this test where there was an actor who would be receiving the questions, the, the testee, if you will, the, the person who was giving the test would ask this person questions. They were the subject of the psychology test. And then there would be someone over the person asking the questions that was that was telling them to, when the person gives a wrong answer, give them electric shock. Now, there wasn't really an electric shock, and the person who was answering the questions was an actor. But whenever the person hesitated to give the shock, then the person in authority then would, uh, would, would say, you know, they, they, would, different, they would say, please continue. The experiment requires that you continue. It is absolutely essential that you continue. You have no other choice. You must go on. It would get stronger and stronger. And people didn't think that this test would, would, that people would go along with that. But 60% of those tested, and then they repeated this in different countries as well, in the United States, 60% went to the end of the test, which... Again, there's, there's some ethics involved here because it involved the actor going through a, like a heart attack, you know, and falling on the floor. And then you go, ah! 
So that probably caused a lot of psychological trauma, I'm sure, for the person, that, people that went through that test. Um, but it showed something about authority, about power, about how we conceive that. Jesus says it is the rulers of the Gentiles who lord it over people. Don't do that in the church. And I take that to mean, you know, don't, don't try to control things, to manipulate things. If you catch yourself saying, well, people should listen to me because of all the time that I spend here, because of all the money I give, because of all the things that I've done, then you're on the wrong track. Everything is a gift. Everything we receive is a gift. Everything that comes from us is a gift. When we have our priorities in the wrong spot, that's where in some churches you have two-hour meetings over what color the carpet should be in the sanctuary or who's going to dispose of the food in the church kitchen. You know, that's a, I've been through a meeting like that before. It's not pleasant. <laughs> and not here at Bethany, by the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amen. You know, it, it, it's about where our heart is and where our priorities are and how we conceive of leadership. Each of us has our role. And I, as a pastor, I dare not lord it over and say, no, it's my way or the highway. That's never true. I mean, I, I expect when I'm preaching the word and I'm giving God's word that you're going to listen to that word, not because of this person. I mean, one of the reasons why I wear this, this white robe is so, you know, it doesn't matter how good I look underneath, how well-dressed I am. You're not supposed to see that. You're only supposed to see Christ's righteousness. That's why the white robe. That's all you're supposed to see. You're not supposed to see me. You're supposed to look through me and see Christ. We don't have authority except the Word of God, the truth that He has given to us. Jesus' right and left hand, they, they, they would be, those weren't His to give, He says. Jesus says, you know what, that's not the mission. The mission is to serve, and in his case, to give his life as a ransom payment for many. Only Jesus can drink that cup of God's wrath. Only Jesus can, can be baptized with that particular baptism. Only Jesus can pay the penalty for all of our sin, because it's only Jesus who can make us into a church of servants who carry out his will humbly and completely. Let's conclude by taking a look at what comes after this scene, the ransom scene. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, they began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And they rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling to you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, immediately, there's that word again in Mark, immediately he recovered in sight and followed him 
on the way. Your faith has made you well. Interesting how there's a connection between sight and faith. Jesus has been telling his disciples what's going to happen in Jerusalem. And every time it's like this. There's, there's some spiritual blindness. They can't see or understand God's plan. And if we're wrapped up with our way, if we're wrapped up in the things of this world, we're the same way. But a church that sees by faith, a church that says, Jesus, have mercy, is a church that says, we, we can't do this on our own power, Lord. We need you. We need you to come down and to be working in our lives. A church where everyone is humble and nobody takes on airs or thinks of themselves too highly, more highly than other people, but it considers themselves, we consider ourselves servants of one another, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That is a church that sees by faith. That is a church where that it lives in the shadow of the cross and of Calvary. Of course, a church that truly does all these things aligns her mission with following Jesus on the way, confessing Jesus as the truth, celebrating Jesus as the life, and it needs to be made up of individual Christians like you and me who have first been served by the one who gave himself as a ransom for many and now in turn put our hands out in service to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace that passes all understanding keep our hearts and minds forever on Christ Jesus.